0: Hi, I'm Gordon Lampier, and welcome to The Real Finds Podcast, the podcast series where we interview key entrepreneurs, scientists, and activists who are shaping the commercial real estate industry and as a result, our world. On today's podcast, we'll be speaking with Prushanth Mahakali. Prushanth is the founder of PMPC Architects and partner at Real View Design and Development. On the podcast, we discuss his unique path to becoming a rising star in the Chicago residential development world state of residential development in Chicago. And he gives investors and brokers tips on how to get the most out of their architects. It's well worth a listen. Hey, Prashanth. Thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today. It's really great to have you on. Uh, Gordon, thank you for having me here. It's
1: a pleasure to be here and share some information.
0: So before we start off, I was wondering if you could give us a brief little background on uh, how you got into architecture and real estate and a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, happy to. Um I'm originally from India and at um I've came to grad school at UIC for architecture. Um coincidentally um it was 2001 and just a month after 9/11 happened which basically put all my grand plans into reverse gear because nobody was willing to hire a an immigrant architect, uh, because there was no architecture business to go with those so skyscrapers, especially which is what oh, yeah. I really wanted to do, and uh, it it changed my career path towards something completely different. And uh, about twenty years now, and I'm, I'm specializing in residential real estate, so it's low rise and a lot of residential real estate and some commercial, you know, real estate as well, but. Um, I have always had the entrepreneurial itch. So I was glad to have opened my own firm back in 2008. And real estate has always been an integral part of my practice from dealing with investors, the city of Chicago and banks and everybody else that I got into it myself. So I've been a licensed broker since 2010. And uh, I've been dabbling with real estate you know at a kind of a hobby when i initially started but then right around 2016 or so i started a development company and we started you know doing very serious projects on a larger scale and uh right now we are about 100 single family homes in uh in the last 7 years or so and uh I have an active architectural practice and also a development side of things.
0: So I know we're going to get back into developments, but why architecture? I know every architect I've met has a, a real why, why they chose to do it. So
1: what's, so, what's your, what's your uh My uh, inspiration was my father, actually. Uh, when he used to work back in India, he used to work for a lot of architects. And architects are revered as gods back in India, yeah. or at least back when I was there. It was It's a totally different mindset mm-hmm. there. An architect walks into a job site, everybody just drops everything and just, like, pays attention to him or her. And um, I was kind of, like, enamored by the, the role an architect plays in coming up with this whole creation with this building. I specifically remember this one building that was going to get inaugurated that the day after and my dad took me to the building and they had this big white light shining on this building and it just glowed and that image is like etched in my head forever and i felt what if i could be you know the creator of something like this and that kind of started the journey and you know it seemed like it was meant to be like every step of the way after then and um I have this innate ability to connect with people, and i wanted to use that to make you know a difference in people's lives through the built environment and um uh, I feel like it is it is going well so far, but at the same time i I want to do more. you know I just don't want to be known just as an architect at the end of my life, so I want to be able to have made a difference in the lives of many people. So
0: making a difference in the lives of many people uh, is important. And I always like to uh, talk about how developers are one of the uh, probably the most underappreciated groups of people in the world. Um, There's so many folks out there that hate developers and and they truly, if they do their job right, make a huge difference in people's lives in a positive way. So what got you into development? Uh, Because uh, that's not a path I always hear about from architects. So um, I'm just very curious
1: yeah you know uh, as an architect you know i'm always dealing with clients right and these clients happen to be developers um early on in my in my practice where i was working with some some other architect or working for some other architect and also later on when i had my own practice i would always come across these folks that are like they want to put this deal together right um to use a very you know, a term that is often misused, the art of the deal. It just <laughs> yeah, it, seemed, yeah. it seemed like it was just meant to be. It was, like, so uh, enticing for me that I was just one part of their deal, and I always wondered what would it be like if I was, like, you know, the creator of the entire deal. So I've always had this notion that uh, if I am able to conquer, like, one aspect of things, I always look for what's more. Right? What else is there to conquer? Right? And uh, I felt like with architecture, I was able to like create these buildings, but then there was an entirely different side that I was missing out on, and I wanted to be part of it. Like now, I get to interface with, as a developer, the community. If I need a zoning change, the the banks, the the, the city or the village where we're working the workers that are actually building this whole thing, my architectural staff. So it's like an all-encompassing kind of like, you know, role that you can get to thrive, you know, as you know the leader of all these different, you know, groups of people and create something that makes a positive difference in their community, basically. So that's so, very, that's very like, you know, gratifying for me.
0: So when we talk about making a positive difference in communities, one of the most underappreciated and I'd say underutilized minds on any deal team I've at least seen in my time in real estate tends to be the architect Uh, because they have such every deal you're working on, they have such a diverse perspective of different um, structures and then also really how to use and design buildings in a way that. The space that people actually want to use versus just trying to get as many, you know, seats per square foot, right? Or to get as many, uh, you know, racks per square foot. So I'm curious, um, when we're talking about design and design matters in terms of making functional spaces, uh, could you give us a good example of uh, a time recently where you use spatial design as a way to kind of make a space matter in a more
1: improved way? Absolutely. So I'll do one more. I, you know, I, this specific, so development in Humboldt Park in Chicago, for example, right. Even though we're all, I'm doing, I'm developing spec single family homes. These are all commercial loans, right? They're very serious. You need to get them done. Otherwise you'll be like paying a lot of money, you know, the more you hang on to them. So this one particular lot, you know, Chicago is very famous for like the standard lot sizes, which is like twenty five feet by one twenty five feet. Yeah, and <laughs> this particular lot was like a deep lot, like one hundred and seventy five feet or something like that. But the curious part about it was, it this this particular lot had an L shape to it, with the L at the back of the lot. You know that there was a, like a small additional space that was part of <laughs> it. Very unusual.
0: That's very unusual, yeah. Yeah,
1: it is. And then the other unusual part was it had a matching reverse L-shaped neighbor (laughs) and never seen anything like that before. And the lot frontage between the neighbor and the lot that we purchased was about 75 feet. Now, the neighbor was a rundown, you know, it was like almost a teardown. And they were trying to like, they were not ready to sell yet. But as soon as I acquired our lot, I knew that if I acquired ours, there was no way they could sell that, their land to anyone else. Because I always had that back uh, portion of the L from my lot surrounding theirs. And they, they didn't realize that. For me as a developer, I was like, there was like this aha moment, right? And yeah. we waited, we told them, hey, you know, we're really interested in buying your lot. And we gave them a price, they didn't agree. And we said, that's fine. You know, we're we're happy to wait it out. And lo and behold, two years later, they tried to put it on the market, tried to sell it, nobody would buy it. I purchased it. And I was able to make the L's into three regular rectangles and built <laughs> three homes, right? And as a typical investor, Um, or a non-architect developer, you would not have thought twice about it as to like what the possibilities were. My knowledge of the zoning code and along with, you know, looking at specific site conditions enabled me to like be a, a more effective developer, right? And look at the future possibilities and the highest and best use of the land. And I felt pretty proud of myself for figuring that out and actually being able to have the opportunity to execute that plan long-term. So here we are, now we have like three homes going up right next to each other, and I could put our signature stamp you know, on all of them. So that was very gratifying for me. And that's like one example of many that I can quote, but this one is the one that stands out the most right now.
0: Well, I think that's a great example Uh, And I I wanted to follow up on that. What's the best advice that you can have for developers who are looking to get the most out of working with their architect? Because I think there are a lot of developers and brokers out there that don't always know um, the right questions to ask or the right way to interact with architects. And and they tend to either go one of two ways, right? They either go go the way where they're just overbearing and they're basically ordering architects around and they never (laughs) get any advice from them which right. is, I think, the worst of the two. And then there's the other example where they just listen to everything an architect that says, says. and they don't um, follow kind of their own path or their own economic business dream for a project. Yeah. So yep. I'm curious, as an architect and a developer, what advice would you give in terms of um, interacting?
1: Yeah, so you're absolutely right. I think uh, my challenge was to kind of like get the, find the balance between you know, a financially conscious developer and an architect that is cost conscious, right? So it's almost very rare to kind of see both of them come together in one individual, which is what, you know, I feel like I am trying to bring to the table for my uh, projects. Um, Talking to an architect first, you know, I think it's very critical that you get not just the design uh, feedback out of the way, like how do you design, show me your aesthetic and all of that. But I want to know, uh, I want to have a developer ask me about my financial knowledge, like cost, you know, how do you ensure a design that is, you know, effective, not only from a design standpoint, but also from a cost standpoint. And I think that's where the, the missing piece of the puzzle is, which is most architects do not talk about money. And I think the developers, while well, they're interviewing architects, should start off with money and cost and tell me or show me examples where you've started a project that did not go into a cost overrun, you know, or yeah. how, do you, how do you make sure that your designs are effective so that they cost, that they can be more efficient, you know, from a cost perspective, then it leads to design. So most people have it the other way. You start off with like, oh, yeah, show me a fancy 3D rendering and then let me just figure it out, how much it costs. And then lo and behold, it costs a lot of money, right? So from that perspective, ask the architect, you know, number one, can you work with us? Can you work with us on making sure this design is efficient from a design standpoint, but also from a cost standpoint? From the architect side, you know, my my dream from a, for a developer has always been, Someone who is able to put their ideas and trust me 100% as a partner, but not as like a someone who is just doing the drawings. You know, architects get, you know, this bad rap for like, you know, getting you a permit, right? So it's, <laughs> if you're just going to an architect to get a permit, that's like great disservice to the you know, education that this person has gone through because they're able to provide you a lot more and you have to be able to demand that from the architect saying, I don't want you to just be, you know, this person who's just figuring this permit situation, but also like, what else can we do? And that really inspires the architect to like come to you and say, well, I, this client is special. Let me give them something more than just drawings, right? So I've always been inspired by such clients and it has led me to become a developer and think like that, you know, in every regard, you know, what else can you do? You know, what else, what are your talents? I know everything about all my, your, my workers, my, everyone that I lead to, like, I want to know about them, you know, like what is, what motivates you? Why are you doing this? And then I take a cue from there and then assign it to like my project and then say, let's create something special, right? so that all of us are proud about this.
0: So talking about creating something special, Chicago is a very special city for architecture. Um, yes. It's got a very unique sense of, of place and a unique moment in, in the history of architecture as well. So I'm curious, in terms of uh, Chicago's architectural scene, what are you seeing right now as some of the latest trends in Chicago residential architecture?
1: So in residential architecture, there's like a distinct, you know, split between custom or residential architecture and then the spec homes that are available for sale. Chicago is one of those cities that, you know, it's both positive and negative in the sense that you could come to a street and there are no, you know, uh, nobody can tell you don't do this unless it's like a landmark (laughs) street or something. You can come up with whatever in the middle of the street, right? Some architects are more sensitive about fitting in, and some are like more sensitive about creating something that is very unique in that particular lot. So it gives you that opportunity to like express your best, you know, creativity from an architecture standpoint, which I like. But um, I also it also means that you have to be respectful and be responsible, should you have that opportunity. So I have been on both sides. You know, we have done where a historical building where your developers trying to convert that from an adaptive reuse standpoint. So we had to make an addition. So how do you make an addition that doesn't stand out or, you know, or try to imitate, you know, the original building, but have it stand on its own. So it was a right delicate balance, which when you have to like take into account the needs of the community and all of that. But overall you know the city is like so cool in terms of being able to express your creativity from multiple as a developer because they're open to it the people the buyers you know the community they're all like you know if you do something nice uh they appreciate you and then it creates a brand that you can follow along into different you know neighborhoods we have you know for example i'm doing the modern farmhouse which is kind of like people are not I, I always try to find out when will people get sick of it, but doesn't seem like <laughs> anyone's getting sick of it. So they're like, you know, give me more. So we've come up with like a strategy on like, you know, coming up with similar buildings in different neighborhoods, nice, neat facades, very clear, crisp details that stand the test of time. And it's been working really well for us. And no one's ever complained, oh, there's too much of this because they all look good and they all make good additions to the neighborhood,
0: you know well chicago so, is is a city full of midwesterners, so I'm yeah. sure that modern farmhouse style plays well uh yeah. in in terms of i wanted to touch on you mentioned adaptive reuse and um one of the things that we're seeing in all sectors of the real estate industry is a wide swath of adaptive reuses. How do you strike that balance between maintaining the character of a building and you, and bringing you into you know the twentieth or the twenty first century?
1: Yeah. So it, again, because there's diverse views on whether a building needs to be torn down or whether you know something uh, needs to it needs to be reused in a particular way, uh, I come in from the cost perspective because it's a great equalizer. Let's talk money, right? If the comparables in that particular neighborhood support a teardown and a full new construction, I think it should be considered. But it's not always possible because sometimes this particular project site, for example, let's talk about a, a commercial building, mixed-use building, where you're trying to put, a, you know, uh, you're trying to use change the use of the first floor retail space, because that's usually the challenge is empty storefronts and all of that. So if you try to make it into something that's like a live-work space, does it work? And if it does work, you owe it to yourself both as a developer or as an owner to explore that option rather than try to like, you know, completely tear down the building and do something else, right? So I would say base it on what it costs to tear down and build new and then compare it with, can I have a different use for this building? And the Chicago's building code was recently, you know, revamped completely from the ground up. So it allows for a lot of things that were previously not allowed before. So I think having a conversation with an architect, which is usually a a complimentary consultation that most architects provide to like discuss various ideas, you know, would be a very, very wise first step for a developer or even the owner of a building. Yeah.
0: Um, Fascinatingly true. Um, When we're going and and we're looking at adaptive reuse, one of the other things I wanted to follow up on is we're seeing consistently a push from a lot of folks on our side, our uh, the developer side, away from some of the traditional uh, uses that are in the city, and that includes uh, some of the retail spaces that are, are now being converted to residential and office that is now being converted to residential. Are you seeing some of those opportunities in the city, and then? Uh, Could you speak on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, you know, it's been the it's a new thing now. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot of you know these office space or retail space conversions to either residential because there's not enough housing stock in certain neighborhoods where it absolutely makes sense for the storefronts that are vacant to be transformed into residential spaces, and uh, in some neighborhoods there is a strong Uh, push for anti-such conversions. It's not going to happen because the the residents just won't like it, right? So you're going to know very fairly quickly which neighborhoods and which streets are ripe for such conversions and which are not. I'm very excited by the LaSalle Street conversions that is being proposed by the city of Chicago right now where they're turning these massive office buildings into residential use. I'm very, very curious to see how downtown, the dynamic of downtown, living in downtown, especially on a street like LaSalle, which has traditionally been like these bankers and all these people walking down the street, transformed into people living there, right? How would it impact the city and how would it transform the the idea of downtown? I'm very curious to see that as an architect. However, um, the case for against it is, you know, Ground-level residential spaces are not optimal because people are walking right next to your living spaces, right? And they are pedestrian streets. And I don't think the quality of these spaces are going to be very well thought out because once this becomes a trend, my fear is that someone who's not fully thought about how the impact, what the impact would be, is going to attempt something. And it's going to give a bad rep for the entire conversion, you know, trend oh, yeah. that is going on right now. So we just need to be careful about that and make sure that your, the quality of spaces is also considered as, as a factor before you embark on a conversion project.
0: Yeah, I think that's very true. Um, in, terms of, in terms of quality of spaces, is there a particular space that you and some of the developers that you've worked with
1: are, are looking at? So, uh, you know, traditionally, because of the city's, you know, narrow, long lots, um, it is very difficult to get a floor plan that is that stands out because it's a very rectangular, long, narrow floor plan that you traditionally see in most Chicago homes or most Chicago lots. Um, yeah. I think um, we have, it's the architect's dream to have like a double height space you know in, yeah. inside inside a building and i feel like you know in, introducing these double heights and playing with the volume of spaces on the inside creates unique opportunities for us to like you know enjoy the space a little bit more and um, my goal is to create as many tall spaces within you know these developments whether they're new or even existing kind of give people the idea that you know architecture is not just about a room and living inside the room but it's about space and how you navigate the space while you're living within that particular building right and it gives uh people uh some kind of like you know they're excited to walk into that space and that's like in architecture school we've taught about you know introducing you know drama like frank Lloyd Wright, for example he would, all his buildings would get you get you through a very, very small, like a low ceiling space as you enter the space. And then it just transforms into this big, wide open, tall space. So you're, you're creating the drama as you enter the space. Those are all like tricks of the trade that most architects have, but they don't get to use those tricks in everyday development. So oh, yeah. when they're when they're talking that language to the developer... To get the developers excited, I feel like there's more room for it. I myself, my I would consider uh, this, this uh, building called Unity Hall in the South Side in Bronzeville neighborhood by IIT that we were involved in as the architects for an adaptive reuse. This was a three-story church like that was like really really big uh, and tall and one space and the developer chose us to kind of like figure out how do we get student housing inside it? So we added three floors within that one space, kind of like the reverse of everything that I've been talking about. (laughs) But, you know, it turned out to be like, you know, created many uh, units within that one big giant space and saved the building from, you know, uh, from ruin because it was like a landmark building and then we adaptive reuse you know, we had an adaptive reuse project of converting it into student housing. It turned out great. And I was very uh, disappointed that we were losing the double height spaces and everything. But at the same time, it turned out to be like a great project that the building won an award for. So it's very gratifying from that perspective that you're able to like make these, you know, spaces and fill them up with usable spaces or, carve out the small space and make it into a dramatic space inside the building. So those are all exciting features that an architect can play around with.
0: So you're an award-winning architect, a successful developer. Ultimately, what kind of advice could you give to aspiring architects out there? Because, I look, one of my best friends who's an architect, um, she got into the profession um recently and it's it's a tough road right it's it's hard to uh to make it as an architect so what would be your you know two cents to anybody who's who's looking to take that path
1: um I wish you'd never ask me that question because i <laughs> have so much to say on that topic <laughs> yeah, I could go on for another hour uh, my here's my here's how I'd summarize this, which is Every architect, regardless of their, you know, role in whether they're in a traditional job or their own practice, you owe it to yourselves to go become, you know, to see what it become what it means to be a developer someday. You know, you have all the skill sets, you have the natural abilities that the the education and, you know, dealing with all the other clients, you should become your own client one day at some point in your career, just for even if it's one project. I feel like architects will really, really enjoy it. But for some reason, they're stuck by, oh, how much things <laughs> yeah. cost. I can't do this. And they're, they're like self-defeating, you know, uh, things. So I feel like you should definitely consider trying a development as a developer, a project as a developer. So it's it's it'll change your mindset completely and makes you a better architect for a lot of other clients. Like that's wonderful
0: advice. So we're... We're starting to get to the end of our, uh, our road. And on every podcast, we ask four questions. And I know okay. they're relatively the same four questions. Um, some of them can be a little more fun than others, but uh, I, I always love it. And we call it the final four. So the first final four question is 10 years from now, what do you think is going to have changed the most about architecture and the real estate investing world, particularly in
1: Chicago? Um, the process of developing uh real estate will is going to get easier but will also get more competitive uh, yeah. A lot of this data that is available right now that is inside the architect's heads is out there in the open, so you'll be able to determine the possibilities of a project faster than you are right now, and most the more than likely it will be a technology tool that will assist you doing that.
0: Yeah, uh, big data um, is is crazy. I'd like to follow up on that. What do you think specifically um, you'll see uh, in data that's going to revolutionize the way that architecture is going?
1: So um, I like the idea of you know compiling large amounts of data and finding actionable intel on that. One of the big examples I give is you know Chicago Cityscape, which is a website that is currently active. That pulls all the Chicago big data and then gives you, you know, information on what is happening in which neighborhood so that you're able to, like, pick up on trends faster than if you were to try and sift through the data yourself, right? So you have to be able to, like, you know, know how to slice and dice data, which will become an essential tool for a lot of people in the coming years, that you need to know how to manipulate data, you know, whether you're an architect or an investor or a developer, because data will be like the information uh, that the data will be like something that will keep you on top of your game. And if you don't, you know what to do with it, you'll probably be end up following other people. Look, we've had a bunch
0: of other data scientists and uh, property tech uh, folks on the podcast talking about data before data, data, data. Um, it's, it's the future. So we've gone to talking about the future now we're going to take a step back and talk a little bit about the past, so if you could travel back in your career to when you just started out and you got just got out of school and you had to say to young prashant what you know this is this is the right way to go about it, what would be your your few uh you know two minute spiel that you would give yourself uh for life advice
1: um I would not change anything. I would stop. <laughs> I wish I had like a, I wish I had a regret but you know I'll give you an example that most users are into, you know, I always had the entrepreneurial itch. You know, like I had yeah. to go find an entrepreneurial solution to any problem I faced because it's out there, right? And uh I was out of a job in 2008 and uh the you know the recession happened and I my I shared this with a lot of other people too. I would sit at City Hall, and you know, basically, go behind folks that were not very helped. that were not helped at City Hall. I'd go behind them and say, "Hey, I'm an architect. I just heard you talking to this person, and it doesn't look like they helped you. I'm, I'm I'm able to help you, and here's how I can do it." And they appreciated that. And oh yeah, you know, I some people would be like, "Oh my God, that's like crazy," <laughs> and I'm like, "But." at that time i did whatever i had to do to kind of make a living and you know it's those those moments that kind of shape you so everything right. that i have right now is based on all those experiences and i would not trade them for anything okay hey, being a go getter and going
0: out and um getting that real first hand experience of of, ch- of chasing yeah. deals and and, and chasing yeah. potential uh, like that's priceless i don't care what business you're in um and one of the things that we always like to talk about is some of the other ways you can get kind of priceless knowledge or experience, which is through books. Yep. And um, I'm curious, do you have a particular real estate or business book that you think has influenced your career?
1: Um, I don't get to read a lot of books, but I am my audible addict. So okay. I, spent All right. a lot of, I, I spent a lot of time in the car. I felt like, you know, um, instead of making excuses for saying no time. I just turn an article. I have the Audible app. I have like ten books that I'm always listening to. Right now, I am very uh, intrigued by Grant Cardone and okay. uh, his, the 10x Mentor. And okay. it's, it's on Audible, and it's very compelling to hear him talk. And uh, you know, it's like him talking to you directly. And you know, there are a lot of things that I don't try to fall into like this whole personalities. But I feel like there are there are things that you can take away from what he's sharing that are very, very helpful, both in real estate and, uh, you know, non-real estate related, just life. And I'm enjoying, you know, listening to that book right now. And uh, I'm curious to see how I'm going to apply some of the things that I heard him share in that book. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't care uh, who it is. There's
0: anybody who's successful has incredibly yeah. unique. Uh, tidbits that you can take and you can apply to your life so the last and most important tidbit that we always like to go after and this is the whole reason for the podcast is as going out and finding out who's the next person we should have on who's influencing the real estate world and and it could be anybody in that you know in your network it doesn't have to be someone from chicago who's that next person we should go out and talk to
1: um I am very uh, um, very curious about this one guy. I think his name is Scott McKenna. He's got okay. a he's got a company called McKenna Capital, where they're you know doing a lot of big deals across the United States. Um, I am curious to see how I could myself become an investor with their company, but at the same time, they. Looks like they've managed to like track the code on, you know, multifamily and, you know, just investments on large scale properties that are available and syndicated with, you know, people and get investors to invest with them. That is something that I want to do at some point in the future. So I'm very intrigued by them. I don't know enough about them to be very honest, but I'm very inspired and intrigued by their model and what they're doing. I'm happy to share more information with you offline.
0: That sounds awesome. Look, Sean, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today. We got one final question. Okay. And that is, that is how does somebody who listened to this podcast today, who wants to reach out to you, how do they best get in contact with you?
1: One, the first time is, uh, if you can figure out how to spell my name, that's like half the battle <laughs> right there. <laughs> and then
0: hey, hey, as a lamp fear
1: with the pH, I, I know the same feeling. So it's fun. Yeah, Prashant Mahakali is not, is a mouthful. But um, if you Google my name, there's a good chance that you'll either land on my architectural website, which is PMPC Architects, or my development website, which is RealView Design and Development or realviewdd.com. So um, I'm easily reachable. I love helping people. So I look forward to hearing from your listeners and in being of any help that I can and in their development journey. Prashant, thank you for hopping on today, and uh, we have to have you
0: on in the future.
1: Perfect. Thank you for having me, Gordon. I really appreciate it, and I am so excited for your venture and the time you spend in creating these podcasts, you know, episodes that are very, very helpful. Thanks again to Prashant. We appreciate his
0: insights, and if you enjoyed the podcast, please give us a like, a five-star rating, or a review. Your comments, interactions, and subscriptions truly matter and help us continue to provide quality guests. You can follow us on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Gordon Lamphere with The Real Finds Podcast. Thank you for listening.